Please listen to this story. Two brothers had terrorized a small town for decades. They were unfaithful to their wives, abusive to their children, and dishonest in business. The younger brother died unexpectedly. The surviving brother went to the um, local pastor of the church and said, I'd like you to conduct my brother's funeral, but it's important to me that during the service you tell everyone that my brother was a saint. But he was far from that, the minister protested. The wealthy brother pulled out his checkbook and said, Reverend, I'm prepared to give $100,000 to your church. All I'm asking is that you publicly state that my brother was a saint. On the day of the funeral, the pastor began his eulogy this way. Everyone here knows that the deceased was a wicked man, a womanizer, and a drunk. He terrorized his employees and cheated on his taxes. Then he paused. But as evil and sinful as this man was, compared to his older brother, he was a saint. This morning we're going to look at a story in the Bible of a man who was actually what you might call a saint. He had an impeccable reputation. Um, he was a man of character and courage and conviction. This morning, as we conclude this study of Daniel, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, this is going to be on page 725. Now, who can tell me the title of today's message? You can look on your outline. What is the title of the message today? Lessons from the lion's den. There are some really practical lessons in the story that I want us to take a look at this morning. So let's begin by looking at chapter 6, verse 1. And the story begins this way. It pleased Darius. Now, Darius is the new king. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. It's just another word for government officials. To appoint 120 government officials to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So the government's being restructured here. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now how do Daniel's colleagues respond? Take a look at this verse. It says, at this, the king's desire to promote Daniel, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, Daniel has been in public service for over 50 years when this story takes place. And he's a man of impeccable character. He's a man who is competent. And now the king decides he's going to promote him. And this potential promotion makes the other leaders extremely jealous. In fact, they're so jealous, they don't want to just bring Daniel down. They want to destroy him. And so they try to find some dirt on Daniel. Been a lot of discussion in the news recently about corruption in our federal government. But not even a special White House prosecutor could have found any dirt on Daniel. Look at verse 5 if you have your Bible open. It says, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And then verse 6, so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. Is that true? No, Daniel hasn't agreed to any of this. They've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree, listen to this, that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, 
shall be thrown where? Into the lion's den. Now, during this time in history, in this part of the world, lions just roamed around the countryside. And so people were terrified of lions. The kings would hunt them for sport, but they were also used for execution. Now look at verse 8. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So what does the king do? He put the decree in writing. Now here's the first lesson from the story. Lesson number one, jealousy is a very destructive emotion. Jealousy is a very destructive emotion. Shakespeare called jealousy a green-eyed monster. A monster that not only attacks those in the political arena, but a monster that injures families and friendships as well. One time there were these two friends, and each started their own businesses. Um, one of the businesses was going really well. The other was struggling. And the man who owned the struggling business was extremely jealous of his successful friend. Well, one day, the man who owned the struggling business is walking along the beach, and he finds this really unusual-looking bottle, and he pulls out the cork. And lo and behold, a genie appears. And the genie says, you have released me from my prison, and to show my gratitude, I will grant you three wishes. But be careful, for with each wish, your business rival will receive double of whatever you request. And the man protested, and he said, well, that's just not fair. And the genie says, look, that's all I can offer you. So the man shrugged his shoulders and said, okay, I want a million dollars. There was a flash of light, and a million dollars appeared at his feet. At the same instant, in another location, his business rival looked down to see twice that amount at his feet. And your second wish, said the genie, I want to have 100 new online customers. Immediately, his wish was granted, and his successful business rival discovered that he now had 200 new online customers. The man said, genie, is it really true that my business rival has $2 million and 200 new customers and that he gets double of whatever I wish for? The genie said that it was indeed true. Okay, I'm ready for my last wish, said the man. Scare me half to death. It'll take a minute, but. <laughs> Jealousy is a very destructive emotion. And in this story, Daniel's political rivals are so jealous of his success that they want him what? They want him dead. Let me ask you this. How do you respond to the success of others really when somebody else is honored when somebody else is promoted are you really glad for them can you rejoice with them or is there a twinge of jealousy in your heart the Bible is clear that God wants his family to be free of jealousy but the reality is that sometimes we struggle with that emotion have you ever thought this to yourself and <clears throat> maybe you've never shared it with anybody else you know if I just had that person's wealth, if I just had that person's health, if I just had that person's house, if I just had that person's spouse, then I would really be happy. When I was in high school, I ran track. And in the shorter races, when you run track, you have to stay in your own what? Yeah, you stay in your own lane. And any good track coach will tell you when you're a runner, hey, look, don't look at the runner next to you. Don't look to the left, don't look to the right. That person could be ahead of you, that person could be behind you. What you need to do is look ahead and focus on the finish line. The Bible describes our life as a race. 
And it says that God has marked out a course for each one of us. And what that means is that my race is not your race and your race is not my race. And if we're going to run with endurance this race that God has set before us, we don't need to look to the person on the left or the person on the right. We need to look up and keep our eyes on Jesus. And church, let me say this. You know, sometimes we we look at another person's life and we think, man, they've got it made. They don't have that many problems. Things are great. Can I tell you something? So often, that is so far from the reality. People can be struggling in so many different ways. And so Jesus says, hey, keep your eyes on me. Don't compare your life to others and don't be jealous. Why? Because jealousy is such a destructive emotion. Now here's another lesson from this story. Look at verse 10 for a moment. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, and notice this, asking God for help. That's amazing. I mean, do you know how old Daniel is at this point in his life? He's in his 80s. For decades, he has been praying three times every day and asking God for help, giving his thanks to God. And here's the lesson for us. Take a look at your outline. Your habits determine your character. Your habits determine your character. How many of you are familiar with the name Tommy Lasorda? From the world of sports, he was a manager of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. One time he was talking about his struggle with bad habits, and he said this, I took a pack of cigarettes from my pocket, stared at it, and said, who's stronger, you or me? The answer was me, so I stopped smoking. Then I took a vodka martini and said to it, who's stronger, you or me? And the answer again was me, so I stopped drinking. And then I went on a diet. I looked at the big plate of linguine with clam sauce and said, who's stronger, you or me? And this little clam looked up and said, I am. And sort of said, you're right, I can't beat linguine. Your character is determined by your habits. The things that you do over and over again. You see, you can't claim to be a kind person unless you are consistently kind. You can't claim to be a patient person unless you are consistently patient. A man or a husband who is faithful to his wife most of the time is not faithful at all. Your habits determine your character. Here's another way of looking at it. What do you need to do in order to be physically fit? You need to have things you do consistently. You need to have habits, diet and exercise, good nutrition. What do you need to do in order to be spiritually fit? Same thing, isn't it true? Habits that you do consistently, like prayer and and studying God's word and meeting for worship and serving others. Let me ask you this, because this is such an important question. What habits do you have in your life right now that are developing your character? And here's why I ask. The Bible is clear that God tests the faith of his people. And I was sharing with somebody before the service that in all the years that I've been the pastor here at Boynton Beach Community Church, I have never seen so many individuals and families having their faith tested in some incredible ways. And here's the thing. When your faith is tested, how you respond depends on your character. And your character depends on your habits. 
And so the question is, with those tests that you're going through right now or the tests that you'll face in the future, what habits are shaping your character so that you pass the test and are able to really trust God? Because your habits determine your character. Now there's one more lesson from the lion's den this morning because here's what happens. Um, Daniel gets busted. They catch him praying. So these corrupt government officials go to the king and say, hey king, we found Daniel praying and you know what you signed into law. If anybody prays and it's not to you, they get thrown into a den of lions. Now the king immediately recognizes what has happened. These guys have framed Daniel and the king wants to let him go but he can't because he signed the law. And so as they lead Daniel away to what seems to be a certain death, this is what the king says, and I quote, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. So they throw Daniel into this den of lions. They place this stone over the entrance. They seal it with the king's own signet ring. And then the king goes back to his palace. Of course, he is so upset and worried that he can't possibly sleep. And this is what happens next. This is in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And the silence is broken by a familiar voice. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Now, church, here is another lesson, a vitally important lesson from the lion's den, and it's this. God is able to deliver you from evil. God is able to deliver us from evil. I read a story this week about this mom who was teaching her three-year-old daughter to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so every night they would kneel beside the bed and, and say the prayer together. And then it was time for the little girl to recite it alone. And she said each word carefully right up to the end of the prayer. And she said this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. Some of you may have prayed this week for God to deliver you from email. But in this story, God delivers Daniel from evil. Daniel is saved from the lions and from these evil men who want to destroy him. But not every story ends that way. What about the people in the church in Texas two weeks ago that were attacked by a lone gunman? Did God deliver them from evil? You see, to answer that question, we need to understand that there are different ways that God delivers us from evil. Sometimes God chooses to protect us from evil, to protect us from pain, to shield us from suffering, and that's exactly what happens in the story about Daniel. Daniel isn't touched by the lions. God completely protects him. But God doesn't always deliver us in that way. You see, sometimes God sovereignly chooses to allow evil and pain and suffering to touch us, to come into our lives. Think about the story of Job. Did Job experience evil and pain and suffering? Well, absolutely. But what did God do? God gave Job strength and grace and faith for that test. And there's even a third way that God delivers us from evil. Sometimes God does this. He takes us home to a place where there is no evil. 
where there is no pain, where there is no suffering. And do you realize that in that church in Texas two weeks ago, that is one of the ways that God delivered his people from evil. And even today around the world, Christians are being martyred for their faith and God is delivering them from evil. But that is God's sovereign choice because church, we need to remember we're in a war. There is a battle between good and evil, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And we have a real enemy who seeks to destroy us. And we need to remember what Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Why did Jesus tell us to pray that? Because there's real evil in the world. And because every single day, we face temptation. So what I'd like to do in the time that we have left is to do this. I want to walk you through what you might call the anatomy of a temptation. And this is really practical. What does it look like? And then how do we resist temptation? But as we do that, we need to realize this, that every temptation is as much an opportunity to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing, because we have a choice. See, the devil wants to use temptation to destroy you. But God can use temptation to develop you because every time you make a choice that honors God, you grow in character. And I'm really thankful that our enemy, Satan, has been using the same strategy since the world began. We are not ignorant of his schemes, the Bible says. And so let me walk you through this. This is on your outline. Four steps in the anatomy of a temptation. Number one is desire. Desire. See, so often we think that, you know, temptation's out there that's not what the Bible says. The book of James says that temptation is in here, in our heart, in our minds. The second is this. Step two is doubt. We have a real spiritual enemy who wants us to doubt God. And you know what? When life is hard, when people that you love are hurting, there can sometimes be this doubt. God, are you, are you watching this? God, do you know what's going on? God, are you really good? God, are you really in charge? Satan wants us to doubt God. And that leads to this third step, step three, deception. And that's when we start to buy into the lies of the enemy and not believe what God reveals in his word about himself and about his ways. We begin to doubt that God really does have a purpose for our pain. And then finally, that leads to disobedience. We make a choice and we cross the line and we do things that are contrary to God's will. Let me ask you this. How many people have ever disobeyed God? If you've ever disobeyed God, just raise your hand. Okay. And honestly, every hand should be up. Because here's what the Bible says. Since the beginning of time, since the days of Adam and Eve, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all on the same leaky boat. And this really is the heart of the bad news. Because we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose, away from his plan. The Bible calls it sin. Because we don't love God the way we should or people the way we should. And our sin separates us from a God who is holy. And this God who is holy is just, which means he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And we know what that punishment is, to die. And to be separated from God for how long? Forever. And this is a, a hopeless situation. We cannot deliver ourselves. So what does God do? Well, because he made us, because he loves us. He comes to rescue us. And I love this time of year. We're getting ready to enter the Advent season and the word Advent means coming, the coming of Jesus Christ to our world. Why did he come? Because we were in serious trouble and we couldn't save ourselves. So that is the story of Christmas. That this God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son Jesus comes to our world and he's born as a baby in Bethlehem and he grows up and through his 30 years of life, he perfectly obeys the will of God which uniquely qualifies him 
to offer himself in our place. And that's what happens on the cross. Jesus dies the death that we deserve. And God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. He is our substitute. And after he dies, what happens? God accepts that payment and so he raises his son to life and Jesus says, look, come and follow me because I want you to have a new life. And when you trust Jesus, you not only get a new record because your, your past is settled, your sins are forgiven, you get a new potential because now Jesus lives in you by his spirit and now you can resist evil. Now you can overcome temptation. So how does that work? Well, real briefly, let me point out four things to remember about temptation. First is this. Remember that being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. Was Jesus ever tempted? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the Bible says this. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the, all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. I know people who think that if you're really, really spiritual, you won't get tempted very much. You know, I found just the opposite to be true. The closer you get to Jesus, the more God develops your character, the more intense the temptations actually become. Have you ever experienced this? You're trying to pray, and, and all of a sudden, this, this bizarre thought comes into your head, maybe an evil, sinful thought, and you think, oh man, how could I think that? And you start to feel ashamed. Let me tell you something. That is coming from the enemy. He wants to distract you. He wants to separate you from God. So what you need to do is just tell God and refocus on God. So first, remember that being tempted is not a sin. Here's the second thing. Recognize where you are the most vulnerable. Because church, listen, we get tempted every single day. And we need to know where we are the most vulnerable. And this is what the scripture says. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil. Your great enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. You know, over the years that I've been following Jesus, I have recognized that there are certain times when I'm more vulnerable to temptation. And one time is when I'm just physically exhausted, just really tired. I'm more vulnerable to temptation. Another is when I'm spiritually discouraged. I'm also a lot more vulnerable to temptation when I'm stressed because my temptation is to do something to relieve that stress. And it could be in some very inappropriate and even sinful ways. I'm tempted when I'm stressed. And another time that I find myself being tempted is when I'm alone or feeling lonely. Because in that, in that condition, I want to find comfort. And that can be a temptation in and of itself, to find comfort in ways that are contrary to God's word. And so I just want to encourage you, know where you are most vulnerable and be on your guard. You know how the government um, has these different color codes to rank the possibility of a terrorist attack? We need to have that same mentality. We need to know when we are most vulnerable to an attack from the enemy so that we can be on guard. And then here's another thing we can do. Reveal your struggle to a trusted friend. Reveal your struggle to a trusted friend. Can I tell you something? Satan wants you to think, wants me to think, that our struggle is unique. That your struggle, that your, your problem, your addiction, is something that only you experience. Is that true? Well, it's absolutely not true. And when we bind to that kind of thinking, this is what happens. We hide in the dark. But here's the reality. Problems get worse in the dark. 
problems need to be exposed to the light of God's grace and God's truth. Because church, the reality is we all struggle. I mean, we struggle in our marriages, we struggle with our kids, we struggle with our finances, we struggle with our sexuality. We struggle in so many different ways. But God wants us not to struggle alone. And so it's so good to have somebody you trust, somebody that you can go to and say, would you please pray for me? Somebody who can encourage you, somebody who can even hold you accountable. And this is what the scripture says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Well, let me point out one more way to overcome temptation. Request God's help. Request God's help. Now, here's an interesting question. Why is it that we sometimes don't want to request God's help? And I think the answer is this, because sometimes we want to give in to the temptation even though we know it's wrong. Listen to this story. A father said to his son, I don't want you swimming in that canal. Okay, Dad, he answered. But he came home wearing a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, demanded the father. Swimming in the canal, answered the boy. Didn't I tell you not to swim there? Yes, sir, answered the boy. Why did you? Well, Dad, he explained, I had my bathing suit with me, and I just couldn't resist the temptation. Son, why did you take your bathing suit with you? Well, just in case I was tempted. What should you do when you're tempted? Look at this verse. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us, to help us when we need it. Let me close with this thought. Like Daniel, Jesus was unjustly condemned by those who were jealous of him. And like Daniel... Jesus appeared before this public official who desperately sought to release him. And like Daniel, Jesus was placed in this this cave and a stone was rolled in front and sealed shut. In the story of Daniel, the king at dawn comes to the den of lions and discovers that, that Daniel has been delivered from death. And in the story of Jesus, the women come to the, the tomb at dawn and they discover that that Jesus has not only been delivered from death, Jesus has defeated death itself. And church, realize this, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The power to defeat temptation, the power to overcome addictions, the power to heal marriages, the power to change from the inside out, the power to keep hoping, the power to keep praying, the, the power to keep believing that God is in charge and that God cares about us. Because here's the reality. One day Jesus is coming back. And one day Jesus is going to make all things new. And one day God the Father will crush the evil one and evil completely. And one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And church, on that day, the victory of Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, will be your victory. And my victory too. Let's pray. God, I just am so... Incredibly thankful, God, we all are, for this truth that encourages us, that gives us hope, that reminds us, God, that you're sovereign, that you're at work in this world, at work in our lives. And God, we're thankful for your promise to deliver us from evil. 
And we know that you get to choose how you do that. Lord, for those who are going through a really difficult time right now, I pray for spiritual protection. And God, for, for those who are being touched by pain and touched by suffering and trials, God, please pour out your grace in their lives. Give them the strength and the wisdom they need. And God, we are so thankful because one day, one day, we'll be home. God, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, you said this, that you came into this world to heal the brokenhearted and to set the prisoners free. So Lord, would you do that? Would you set us free to love you and to love others? Lord, would you set us free to accomplish your purpose in this world? Would you set us free to praise you in the storm, God, in the pain and the suffering? And Father, I just wanna, I wanna say this, that if someone here this morning for the very first time is understanding that they're a sinner and they need a savior, that they would just say this in their heart, God, I need you. I really need you. And I believe that this story in the Bible is true about Jesus, that he died for me and, and my sins and that he came back to life. And so God, today, I don't understand all the stuff about being a Christian, but I do understand this. I wanna follow Jesus. God, you always hear that prayer. And I pray for each one of us, God, that we would have this assurance that whatever we face in this life, we never face it alone. Because Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, is always with us and always for us. And for that, we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.